New confirmation of unmarked graves in the site of a former residential school, this time in Vancouver Island. Homelessness crisis in Saskatoon. Ottawa outsourced the COVID business loan program to Accenture and the family of Malcolm X is suing state agencies for wrongful death. Good morning. It's Wednesday, February 22nd. I'm Nora. Here are your headlines. This morning, we start with devastating news from the Shishat First Nation on Vancouver Island. Over the past 18 months, the First Nation has searched records related to the Alberni Indian Residential School and has worked with a land surveyor who's been using ground-penetrating radar. They've previously confirmed at least 67 children died while they were students at the school, and yesterday they confirmed that they found 17 features that represent suspected graves through ground-penetrating radar. Haley Lewis from Global News reports that the institution was open from 1900 until 1973, and children from at least 70 different First Nations were forced to attend. The school, like all of them, have a history of abuse and horrible acts committed towards children. For example, in 1995, someone who had worked at the school was convicted of 18 counts of indecent assault against the children. The worker had been there for 20 years, from 1948 until 1968, and was sentenced to 11 years in prison. Elected Chief Counselor Wa Mish told Lewis, quote, This isn't just another number. For survivors, this is the truth they've been sharing from the very beginning. Knowing that some children never made it home, this is verifying what they've always known. And a reminder that if you're a survivor of residential school or related to survivors and need to talk to someone, you can call the Indian Residential Schools Resolution Health Support Program at 1-866-925-4419. Now to Saskatoon, where CBC's Pratyush Dayal reported on the city's homelessness crisis after he went on a ride-along with the fire department's assistant chief, Yvonne Raymer. There are important statistics embedded in Dial's article. There were 55 suspected overdose deaths in Saskatoon alone in January, for example. This number had climbed by six deaths over 2022. Despite the frigid temperatures that are so normal in Saskatoon, there have been encampments set up by people who have nowhere else to go. For example, like the one behind Lighthouse Supported Living, Police told Dial that the night before they spoke, there were at least six people sleeping there. Lighthouse supported living, like many other shelters within the city of Saskatoon, are often at capacity. Len Usiskin from the Quint Development Corporation blames the crisis on rising rents and the new Saskatchewan Income Support Program. It changed how income supports for rents and utilities were paid. Usiskin said, All of this is creating a perfect homelessness storm in this city. It's tragic. This year is so much work and unprecedented. The article goes on to say, quote, Usiskin said the lack of investment in affordable housing and the income support program structure are driving the evictions and homelessness. Dial cites data from the Office of Residential Tenancies, which received 4,037 landlord requests seeking an eviction from April 22 to January 2023. The article doesn't state whether this was just in Saskatoon alone, though it sounds like it's the whole province because this is a provincial agency. Almost half of the eviction requests were granted. 
I took a little whirl through Google to see if there was anything I could add to the story that the Saskatchewan government had been doing. Not too surprisingly, if you search homelessness and Scott Moe, you find nothing almost, <laughs> actually nothing at Google News. It uh, takes you immediately to some random international stories uh, about some guy named Mo. Now to the Globe and Mail for some national news. And this is I, like a huge story, I think. Although the Globe and Mail has this habit or has had this habit in the pandemic of having absolutely massive scoops, big reporting on different aspects related to the pandemic that then just kind of go nowhere. I hope that's not the case for this, though I also think that there's probably going to be more digging that might continue to add to this story. So what is the story? Nora, get on with it. Chris Henney at the Globe Mail has revealed yesterday that the federal government outsourced managing the SEBA, the COVID loan program that was supposed to help businesses. They outsourced it to a consulting firm that's called Accenture Inc. It cost at least $61 million to deliver the program, though that is probably not the full picture because this is all coming through various bits and pieces through access to information. That's right. Hene had to get this through access to information. It had not been reported by the federal government that they had outsourced in one of the pillars of the COVID relief response to this private international corporation. Here's how Hene describes the early days of the SEBA program. Quote, Ottawa announced the creation of SEBA on April 9th, 2020, and sent more than $49 billion to nearly 900,000 businesses. Each loan is worth up to $60,000 and is interest-free and partly forgivable if the balance is repaid by December 31st, 2023. SEBA was the first and most widely used of the government's business aids. And if you've never actually got SEBA, I, I went through the process to get SEBA for the organization that I work for. You applied through your financial institution so we applied through a credit union. The money then was held for us in trust in another account. We were able to draw on it. And then when we felt like we had the money to be able to keep it, to, be, to, to pay it back in, in December 31st, it goes into a separate account. So the whole interface between the financial institutions and the government from the user side was pretty opaque. It wasn't like CERB and it wasn't even like the wage subsidy where we had more interaction with Canada Revenue Agency on that money. So it was the perfect program to run it through a private agency and have no one notice. Now, it was also not the government directly that ran the program and that gave the contract to Accenture. The government had Export Development Canada manage and oversee the SIBA loan program. They're a crown corporation that Hene describes as, quote, helping Canadian businesses finance deals abroad. As a result, the EDC has access to a lot of money. If you take a whirl through their proactive disclosure, it's like diving into a big vat of WTF of funding projects, <laughs> like financing 400 to $500 million to the Vista Group Holding Limited in Malta to purchase aircraft, 25 to $50 million to finance the development of export trade in Peru, $100 million to $200 million to the Baffinland Iron Mines Corporation in Nunavut, or $75 to $100 million given to the Neo Performance Materials Incorporated in support of mining, smelting, and other processing of metals in China. This is an agency that helps Canadian businesses do, businesses, do business abroad. Anyway, the ADC gets the responsibility to manage SEBA, and they pass the work on to Accenture. 
They did this because they didn't have the expertise to manage the program, reports Henne. They were supposed to build websites, run a call center, bring financial institutions on board and collect data. That was the work that Accenture was hired to do. And the article doesn't suggest that they didn't do it. They suggest that that work was what was probably done. But in the shadow of the McKinsey revelations, I'm certainly left wondering why we have so little knowledge internally within our government agencies to be able to do these kinds of things, to coordinate these kinds of programs. We don't know the full extent of the contract that EDC had with Accenture, nor how much money Accenture made off of managing the program. But I imagine that after this, there will be more eyes from journalists on the EDC and on the government figuring out what in the heck happened in those early days of the pandemic. But one of the things that I love to do when I'm trying to figure out the answer to that question is look through what was written at that time. Uh, Hannay does this as well. He cites some documents that go back to 2021. I definitely suggest you check out the article. But I found a blog post that was written on March 16th, 2020 by Mariad Lavery, the president and CEO of the EDC. She wrote that the EDC and the Business Development Bank of Canada played key roles in those early days of pandemic financial aid. The two agencies provided $10 billion that had been announced on Friday, March 13th, 2020, and formed the first aid package to Canadian businesses to weather the storm. I don't know if you remember this press conference. Now, because I wrote a book about COVID, I remember it so well because I watched it probably four or five times. March 13th, Friday the 13th, this was the day where things were really starting to shut down a lot of places in Canada. And Trudeau and Bill Morneau announced a ton of money to help businesses. Now, a lot of the programs that were announced on that date ended up getting replaced less than a month later with other programs like the SIBA loan, which was announced at the beginning of April. But if it's the case that the EDC was involved in the very earliest parts of the pandemic to provide lots of money, I mean, $10 billion to Canadian businesses to stay afloat, it isn't too surprising then that the federal government would have passed the management of the program to the EDC. It is surprising, though, in the context of them saying they didn't have the expertise to do it. Of course, eventually CRA gets more involved in managing this program and CRA oversees the CERB and the wage subsidy program. But a lot of questions, of course, remain about how um, a core, a core plank of funding COVID financial aid to businesses was sent through this company. And of course, why the heck we're only finding about this now. Now, just to give you an idea of how much money Accenture does make, they're a massive corporation and they reported in 2021 net earnings of $5.9 billion. That was almost 16% more than they made in net earnings in 2020. And finally, Liasa Shabazz, one of the daughters of Malcolm X, announced yesterday that she plans to sue the NYPD, the FBI, and the CIA for wrongful death of her father. She's seeking $100 million in damages. Yesterday was the anniversary of Malcolm X's murder in 1965. He was killed by three people right before he was supposed to give a speech in New York City. Ilyasa Shabazz announced her plan to sue from the same room in which Malcolm X was murdered. She said, quote, for years, our family has fought for the truth to come to light concerning his murder, and we'd like our father to receive the justice that he deserves. It is our hope that the litigation of this case will finally provide some unanswered questions. We want justice served for our father. The question of who killed Malcolm X has never really been answered. Al Jazeera reports that in October 2022, 
two men were awarded $36 million after having been wrongfully convicted of Malcolm X's death. Those are your headlines for this morning. It is Wednesday, February 22nd. I'm Nora. I hope you have a good Wednesday.